outstanding ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go Beyond the Bell. SummerSlam, the biggest party of the summer. And welcome back to the Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Show, Beyond the Bell. Powered by the SNS Radio Network. Your host back once again, ring announcer extraordinaire, Sean Beckerman, as we bring you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. Now we all know SummerSlam is upon us, and I definitely recommend looking back or going back in time during the first year of Beyond the Bell, as we look back at the best of SummerSlam. Episodes 14 and 15, if you go back in the archives at ringannouncing.com, as well as snsradionetwork.com, as we took a look back at the greatest moments, the best of the Summer Sizzler, the Summer Spectacular we all have grown to love, known as SummerSlam. A very popular series, and backed by popular demand, We'll have a special post on ringannouncing.com combining the two links in one post, as well as you can also go back on the archive page at episodes 14 and 15 and relive the best of SummerSlam. But we're talking about tonight, right now, in the spirit of SummerSlam, we will go back in time to the first ever edition of Beyond the Bell, a popular edition known as the WrestleMania Dream Card. In that theme, we will carry it over now to SummerSlam. Thus, we bring to you Beyond the Bell presents the SummerSlam Dream Card. But first, courtesy of Barbershop Window, it's time to go behind the mic, where we take you behind the scenes of what it's like to be a professional wrestling ring announcer on the independent circuit in professional wrestling. This week, we take you backstage of what it's like to announce the ECW legend and current agent-slash-producer, a part of Gut Check, Al Snow. Al has spent a few Summer Slams in competition, and I had the such great honor to announce him at an event in New Jersey. Of course, it was in South Jersey. Damn, that's wrestling. It was a great learning experience for me because Al opened himself up to the entire locker room. So, so very nice and genuine uh, in general with other former superstars or former, you know, federation talent, quote-unquote, they call them, or uh, TV talent, you would feel that they're just there for the paycheck, just going in and out, you know, pin me, or should I say pay me, I pin, or pin me, pay me, the job squad phrase, and then they'd be gone at the next show. But you felt that Al was there to 
contribute. He was at the at that for that one night the captain of the locker room. He was there to give each and every person on the card advice. And that's what made Al so special. He went to every single person backstage, spoke to them, gave them an opinion on what they should do during their match, how to change up their gimmick to change things up a little bit, to refresh in things, make to better themselves as a performer. And then after the match, talking to each performer, because we had TV monitors backstage where he could look at what was being done inside the ring. And you can he, he, you can just see the passion he has for the business, helping out each and every performer. So you can tell he just wasn't there for the paycheck. He was there to make a difference. And that night, I learned so much. That one night of having Al Snow a part of the locker room. A couple of momentous uh, moments to, uh, that I think stood out for me in particular. One is I was able to announce Al Snow in a tag team matchup. And it was... I was able to, actually, I announced them twice. The first time uh, was, of course, in a tag team matchup. The second time was one-on-one action. But the tag team matchup I was able to announce with him participating in was so special because right before I was announcing him, he started doing the, the head bob and bouncing up and down. And then I started bouncing up and down in the ring to add a little extra element to it. He loved it. He ate it up. And just by me announcing Al Snow, it gave me goosebumps. And then during the match, uh, actually, head was on my table. <laughs> Al Snow's head was on my table, and I was, in a sense, holding it for him. Yes, I was holding Al Snow's head. Alright, fans, you can get to it. And I remember Al was it was getting towards the, the latter portion of the match during the, the, the last spots, and he yells over to me, Give me head! And I just said to myself, well, actually, I looked, went over to the commentating team and said, I cannot believe Al Snow just said give me head. Al Snow asked me to give him head. Oh, PG show here, fans. But that was one experience. But the ultimate highlight for me was going backstage after the show when you come off that that big high of ending a, a full, complete card that there were tons of people. The place was packed to watch Al Snow in a tag team matchup. And at the end, uh, having the ability to go backstage and I'm, I'm getting undressed, Al Snow walks over to me. Al Snow, hardcore champion, ECW legend. European champion, Al Snow comes to me and says, you have a great voice, man. Keep it up. That meant the world to me, and that just drove me even further to want to make it in this business. Thank you, Al Snow, for that opportunity. Thank you for such a great learning experience. And without further ado, courtesy of ringannouncing.com on YouTube, one of the opportunities I've had to announce Al Snow inside the squared circle. What does everybody want? What does everybody need? And here's our opponent, Final Ohio, weighing at 235 pounds. Oh, Are simple. 
our locker room is filled with legends and superstars that have participated at a SummerSlam event. But the major rule here is that only one superstar can compete in one match during the Dream Card, as if the superstar can only wrestle once in this locker room. It's as if the past has met the present here at Beyond the Bell as we are booking the ultimate SummerSlam Dream Card. Now, it's not just any two superstars can face against each other, but they actually have had to have a match together at SummerSlam. Got it, folks? So, only one superstar per event. He can only wrestle in one match on the card, and it has to be against a superstar that he faced at SummerSlam. So, we're going to look back at the greatest matches in SummerSlam history and what made them so special. We'll answer all those questions and more on this edition of the SummerSlam Dream Card here at Beyond the Bell. Buckle up, fans. It's go time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the SummerSlam Dream Card. Our commentators for this evening, good old JR, Jim Ross, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Of course, our all-star commentating team will comprise two of the greatest. Good old JR, Jim Ross, and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Both have made such an impact at SummerSlam and behind the booth... Yes, pushing our former series, and what a great way to kick off SummerSlam by having these two kick off the show. Of course, many other greats of SummerSlam are Gorilla Monsoon, Jerry Lawler, Taz, and yes, even JBL during his brief mark as SmackDown color commentator. But I think with these two, you can't expand to a three-man booth I would maybe have thrown JBL in there as a wild card, but let's stick old school, two-man booth, JR and the Brain. Tonight's card is action-packed, fans. Two ladder matches. The Intercontinental title will be on the line. A street fight, an I-quit match, an all-star tag team confrontation, and to wrap it all up, the World Wrestling Federation Championship is on the line. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the SummerSlam Dream Card. I'm your host, Sean Beckerman, and we'll kick things off with 1999, the Love Her or Leave Her confrontation, the Greenwich Street Fight between Test and Shane McMahon. Now, on paper, this Love Her or Leave Her Greenwich Street Fight for Test's right to marry Stephanie McMahon looked like a train wreck waiting to happen. I'll admit I was one of those few. Or many, you could say. However, this match wound up stealing the show in 99. The action inside of the ring was non-stop and saw a lot of interference. While outside of the ring, a drama was unfolding as Stephanie was shown watching the match and cheering on her boyfriend. Because Test won the match, the two made it to the altar but never got married. It is matches like this that always made one great fan look forward to a pay-per-view event. Even when things look bad on paper, you really have no idea when the moment of when a moment of magic, you could say, will happen inside the squared circle. From a storyline aspect, this match marked the pinnacle of the late Andrew Tess Martin's relevance. The pinnacle of his career, you could say, culminated in this matchup. He it looked like a superstar against Shane. From a real-life sexual conquest standpoint, however, of course, Tess will always be super relevant and highly admired. 
of course, Stacy Keebler as the biggest prize of all. But this matchup, I remember the big spot from Shane McMahon jumping onto Test, sacrificing his body to prevent this wrestler from taking away his sister. The storyline was there. It wasn't overdrawn. The Greenwich, the Greenwich Mean Street Posse made themselves known in the match, but Test came out looking like a star because they battled it. They battled each other until no end. Shane had great matches. He took some major bumps, took a lot of risks, but from a pure storyline perspective, this was a great match and a great opener to the SummerSlam Dream Card. Will you give me the honor of going out with me on a date? I'd love to. And I know old Vino and Shano may not like you dating a wrestler. Daddy's little girl gonna date a wrestler! just thought it would be better for everybody if we just remained friends, so. End of story. Did you see? It was, it was Test and Stephanie McMahon. They were coming out of a motel. See, I was in shock. I knew that Test was lying to me. I was all over that story. I asked him point blank if there was anything going on between him and Stephanie, and he lied to me right to my face. That's my personal business, and you're not entitled to know. Did you see that? Let me make it perfectly clear to you, Test. You stay away from my sister. The posse is 4 on 1. Oh. Here comes Joey Abs. Joey Here Abs. comes the posse. Every single day, somebody's got to pay. It's like a pack of a rich canines. Here yeah. comes the posse. Pete Gas, Rodney Giddy. Led by Shane McMahon. And now the Mean Street Posse from Greenwich, Connecticut. Three-on-one attack. I'm sure they hurt you, JR. That probably set them off when you reminded them that this goof used to be a bodyguard for Motley Crue. These sweater vests wearing silver spoon. Those sweater vests go uh, more than your entire wardrobe. Another run-in with Test in the Posse. And you know that Shane McMahon is behind these guys. He's behind the Mean Street Posse, and they're attacking a Test. What kind of human being is Shane McMahon anyway? Shane manhandling his own sister. And he's, he's forcing his sister to watch this carnage. And he's still barking at her and at Tess. I've never seen Shane McMahon behave like this. Stephanie McMahon, oh! Oh my God, Stephanie, you know that, you know that I love you more than any brother could ever love a sister. You know that I would never intentionally strike you. You know that I would never, ever intentionally strike my baby sister. I'm sorry, but it wasn't my fault. It was that derelict test fault. It is all his fault. He's been screwing up everything. But luckily, Big Brother is here to save the day. And once again, just want to let you know that I've taken care of things. Joey Abs is willing to forgive you, Stephanie, and take you back. I went out with Joey one time, and that was because you asked me to. And that wasn't a date. It was a nightmare. Now, I know that you blew your first opportunity with me. But I have a big heart. And I am willing to take you back. Oh, my God! You keep your hands off me. And you and your friends stay the hell out of my life. I told you once. Stay out of our business. But you didn't want to listen. It started with badass Pete Gas, and it's going to keep going through Rodney, Joey Abs, until it's just me and you. 
passes ambush, a member of the posse. I think that's Pete Gass. Yeah, I think Rodney's done for. Well, if you ask me, he broke Pete Gass's ribs. I think he's trying to break Rodney's arm or shoulder or something. All I know is this, that Joey Abs is the last remaining member of the Mean Street Posse yeah. to stand between Shane McMahon and Tess. That I do know. Tess wants to put Joey Abs out of commission. Oh, oh no, my God! Oh, oh he broke his leg! I think I heard the ankle snap! That leaves nobody, Shane, except me and you. Tess, I am challenging you to a lover or lever match. If you win, I will stay out of your and Stephanie's lives forever. However, when I pass the test, you will sever all communication and never ever see my sister again. I accept your challenge for SummerSlam, and I will continue to fight for Stephanie because Shane, come SummerSlam, it's going to be your final fight. Our next matchup takes place from 2008, Batista versus John Cena. The two faces of the WWE from 2005 up until this very match met for the first time ever. It was a babyface versus babyface clash. While both guys had held major championships over the previous three years, neither guy walked into the match holding a title. This is what makes the SummerSlam Dream Card so special because we're kind of fitting the mold right here. Only one world championship match on this card, folks. The match was a well-built one, which featured a lot of power offense, counter-wrestling, and great near-falls. Batista even slapped on a figure-four leg lock, to the surprise of everybody, Nature Boy style. They really worked their behinds off. It followed the typical main event formula that saw Batista kicking out of what was then known as the FU, now known as the Attitude Adjustment, PG-wise, while Cena was able to kick out of a powerbomb that Batista used to counter a leg drop off the top. That was the biggest spot. The counter leg drop into a powerbomb. They used that storyline as the reason why John Cena broke his neck due to Batista. It was a move, ultimately you could say, that led to Cena injuring his neck, which led to surgery that kept him out for a few months. That was the main spot. Watching it again, you could see he didn't land safely. He's a 270-pound guy jumping into the arms of another guy that's spiking him straight down. Not an easy move to pull off. The kickout infuriated Batista. He went nuts. Who picked up Cena for a Batista bomb that ultimately led to his victory after 14 minutes. You should never confuse either guy from being a great worker. But they knew how to hit the high points and when. That is what makes this match so entertaining to watch and why it fits on the WrestleMania Dream card. Our next matchup is for the hardcore title. Rob Van Dam versus Jeff Hardy in a ladder match from 2001. This was a rematch from a month earlier when RVD defeated Hardy to win the hardcore title. The winner had to climb the ladder to grab the hardcore title and become champion. It's not like the hardcore title was a truly valuable entity in the WWE, but at least in this match they cared about it just enough because they performed a tremendous encounter. The two guys involved risked their bodies like this was the world heavyweight title. This is when RVD first showed up in the WWE as part of Team ECW, and Jeff Hardy had a singles run, so there was a lot of freshness to it. 
the match was hot live, and the big spot of the match was a suplex off the ladder that was nearly perfectly done. The sunset flip powerbomb by Hardy was also fairly new for ladder matches at this point, although nowadays they're pretty common in Money in the Bank confrontations. Those spots preceded the finishing sequence where Hardy was hanging from the title, from the hook that he typically would do in ladder matches, and RVD knocked him down and went back up to grab the title for the win after Hardy took a nasty fall. It was a very good match in front of a hot crowd that was popping for everything that these two hardcore superstars were doing. It's always nice to remember how truly good, how truly of a great worker RVD was, and how important this match was for both men's careers as the two eventually will go on to become WWE Champion. And now we go to 2006, the I Quit match between Mick Foley and Nature Boy Ric Flair. A strange match, but effective. These two went at it. It's just worthwhile to see Ric Flair take a body slam onto a pile of thumbtacks. Everyone, you may not be a fan of blood, but everyone loves of Ric Flair bleeding contest. Who would not love, who does not love to see the Nature Boy bleed? If you read in Foley's book, um, the Hardcore Diaries, you get more of a sense of the storyline, of from a storyline perspective of what was happening leading into this matchup, leading into this time in McFoley's career. But ultimately, the, these two went at it. A typical Flair gusher, you can say. The Crimson Mask was coming out down on Flair, and the ending to this one was... A, a little crazy for, for the amount of effort and hardcore interaction these two had. Molina essentially quit for Foley, which Foley was at the time, you could say, smitten over Molina, or they had some type of friendship, uh, that type of relationship between one another. But Molina coming out in, in the spirit of Foley, not to let him suffer any more damage, and essentially quitting for the hardcore legend. But who would ever thought they'd seen a bloody brawl brought about by two guys insulting each other in their respective New York Times bestsellers? Both men ripped each other apart via their books, their autobiographies, and this storyline came about from real life molding into wrestling storyline or wrestling drama. Foley called Flair a lousy booker, of course. Flair called Foley a glorified stuntman, back and forth. Foley had a real-life crush on Melina. You can say, come on, he loved Melina. So he got, brought, so she got brought into the mix. Why not, you know? Foley has a great way in writing, in making real life, and writing it into storylines from a wrestling perspective so well. But go back and relive the Mick Foley vs. Ric Flair I Quit match. One of the more interesting matches, and it has a place on the WrestleMania Dream card for the two men, for the in honor of the two men and the legendary careers that they had in this business and the overall uniqueness of the match and the mark it will play going forward in the history of SummerSlam. Hey, Mick. Hey, Melina. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm all right. I'm all right. Are you ready for your match? I think so. You you think so? It's just, Melina, I've known Ric Flair a long time, and I've never seen a look in his eyes like the one he gave me Tuesday night on ECW. It's a little different side of Ric Flair than I was really prepared for. I remember that look in his eyes, too. And I remember that the way he had you just laying there with the, his belt wrapped around your neck, and then your lip all bloody. 
right in front of me. Yeah. You know, Mick, maybe, maybe this match isn't such a good idea. You know, not only for you, but for me too. Mick, I associate myself with winners. I'm the, I'm the manager of champions. If you go out there and lose, it's not going to look so good for my reputation. Wait, wait, you, you don't think I can win this match? I didn't say that. Melina, let me tell you something. I don't care what kind of sadistic look Ric Flair had in his eyes on Tuesday night. It will be nothing compared to the look I give him when I gleefully grab that microphone and force the letters I-Q-U-I-T out of that worthless piece of crap. It's now time for the Intercontinental Championship. 1992, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, versus Brett, the Hitman Hart. It was in London, England. And a lot of people may not know this, but it was taped on August 29th and then shown on August 31st in 1992, with just over 80,000 fans in attendance. The main event wasn't the Savage Warrior match for the WWF title, but the intercontinental title match between champion Bret Hart and challenger the British Bulldog, who was wrestling in his home country. It was a face-versus-face match, with the added dynamic of the Bulldog's wife, Diana, being at ringside, who was also the sister of Bret. The work in the match was special from the beginning. Through a lot of it, Bret was working as a heel because I think he realized that he needed it, needed to take that role on in order to get the crowd totally behind the Bulldog. It wasn't aggressive heel work, but it was basic stuff that helped the match because it built up the support for their own countrymen. It's interesting to note that Bret Hart wrote in his book about how the Bulldog was blown up, meaning tired, very early in the match, so he forgot a lot of things that he had to do, nearly everything in the match. Bret claims that he carried the majority of the contest, which isn't much of a surprise because Brett was such a great technician. He was a general inside the squared circle. You could tell the Bulldog had lost it a little because of the bump where Brett did a slingshot over the top and Bulldog was supposed to catch him. Instead, he was hunched over against the side of the ring where he was trying to catch his breath. Hart ended up grabbing him by the shoulder and pulling him down. Go back and look at that spot. Like Brett said on his DVD, he could have easily tore his knee. So let's jump to the awesome finishing sequence of this match. After a double clothesline spot, Brett wrapped Bulldog up in the sharpshooter while they were both on their backs. He sits it in. The crowd goes nuts. Freaking out, and the Bulldog gets to the ropes. Brett whips him into the ropes, does a sunset flip. Bulldog drops to his knees, hooks the arms, leans forward for the one, two, three. What might be the loudest ovation Anyone's ever heard, definitely at a SummerSlam event, the new Intercontinental Champion was born, the British Bulldog. Post-match, Brett sold dejection and even teased leaving, but he hugged his brother-in-law and the crowd popped huge as Diana went into the ring for the big family celebration. The match went 25 minutes long. Brett talks about going into the match with the idea that not only will people think Bulldog got elevated by winning the title, but that Brett would be a bigger star after his performance. He wanted to prove that he could be the top guy in the company. Less than two months later, he would win his first ever World Wrestling Federation Championship. He was right. 
It's the perfect example of a match doing great things for both competitors. One guy went over the Bulldog, but the other guy became a bigger star after it was finished. That's the point of professional wrestling, folks. It's not about the wins and losses. It's about telling stories, getting over and creating memories to last a lifetime. That's exactly what they did here. We now go to an unsanctioned street fight from 2002, Triple H versus Shawn Michaels. The return of the Heartbreak Kid to the Squared Circle. This one may be also because I was in attendance at the Nassau Coliseum, but when you look back at the storyline of this confrontation, it was done so well and the match fit the background of these two competitors so perfectly. Five years earlier, Sean's career was ended when he fell awkwardly on a casket against The Undertaker. That awkward fall would put Shawn Michaels out, quite possibly, we thought, forever. But this match, in 2002, five years after, saw him return to the ring in a match against his former D-Generation X partner, Triple H. No one knew what to expect from Sean in this confrontation, but they probably didn't expect what they actually got. I know I didn't. Sean showed no signs of ring rust, and he had one of the greatest and most brutal matches of his entire career. This victory for Sean marked the beginning of the second part of Shawn Michaels' career, which became Hall of Fame worthy. Wrestling fans will be debating for years whether the second era of Shawn Michaels' career or or the first part, which one was better? Which was the better HBK? As far as I'm concerned, you can ask me, I think they're, they're both incredible, but I believe that the second part, second portion, second part of Shawn Michaels' career is what defined him as a true Hall of Famer. All the fans, everybody from the IWC, which was fairly young at the time when the internet was just about, was, was popular, booming, but from the the community to the average fan everyone was marking out in this match when Shawn Michaels returned to the ring everybody wondered how good he would be would he be like the HBK that was arguably the best wrestler of the 90s or would he be a shell of his former self and somebody that was broken down due to the bad back that he once had it wound up that it was the same old HBK we know and love if not better smarter HBK this match was a street fight, which allowed them to do some tricks to help the flow of it in case Shawn wasn't up to his normal speed. They even played it up to where Shawn Michaels wore jeans, wore hardcore jeans, the street fight jeans rather than tights, even though Triple H did wear his own tights, uh, to get out the fact that you weren't going to see the wrestling style of HBK. They were very good in broadcasting the match, calling it the street fight, not a wrestling match, but a street fight where Shawn Michaels is defending his honor against his former friend Triple H. 
I thought they'd just go back and forth, hardcore moves, maybe chair shots, you know, kendo sticks, garbage cans, you know, fists, nicks, kicks, um, occasional suplexes here and there, but I didn't think to the extent, I think we're going to see to the extent of what actually happened in that matchup. The match was great, so entertaining, and went 28 minutes long. Who comes back after four years to work such a long match? The Heartbreak Kid, of course. Hunter was bleeding. Sean was selling every back bump as if it was going to put him into a wheelchair. And everybody watching believed that it, it would do actually that. Even a backbreaker, the crowd gasped. And Shawn Michaels made it look like it actually absolutely broke his spine. He sold it so well. You could say the biggest spot of the match was when HBK propped up a table on the floor laying Triple H across it and splashing him off the top. He actually made the crazy sign right before he did it. In the ring, he hit an elbow drop off the ladder. The finish saw the super kick get blocked, then the pedigree countered into a roll-through cradle for HBK. He won the match, and everybody was loving it. They went nuts. Post-match, Triple H hit him twice in the back with his trusty sledgehammer to put Michaels out for a few more months. That was even worse. Triple H got his heat back and destroyed Michaels. We didn't know how much longer HBK would work. We were just happy with this one matchup. It turns out it would be for another eight years. This was a very good brawl that really was better than anyone ever thought it would be. Who knew that HBK would come back after four years and be this good, if not better, smarter superstar? Now, on the other side, it was a great match for Triple H as well. His face run didn't work that well in 2002. He's more natural as a heel, and this was his first big match as a heel in over a year. He delivered. Boy, he did. The spots they worked were perfect. Everything made sense. Everything had the right flow. And as is always the case with these two guys, the timing was spot on. It was a really fun, emotional match that is one of the most memorable ones that will last a lifetime. And definitely fitting on this SummerSlam dream card. You're damn right it was me, Sean. You're damn right. And I'm glad you found out. I'm glad you know the truth. You know why, Sean? I was trying to prove a point. And the point is, Sean, that you are weak. You are vulnerable. That's why you need me, Sean. That's why you need to be by my side. That's why I wanted you as my manager, Sean. So I could protect you. Sean, I could have protected you, but no, your ego, your pride wouldn't let that happen, would it, Sean? No. Sean, I could have crippled you in that parking lot, but I didn't. I stopped. I didn't finish the job. But you know what? Nobody else would have stopped. They would have finished the job. They would have crippled your ass. Then what, Sean? What would you have done then when you were a crippled mess, huh? What would you have done when you could no longer walk? 
You think I'm weak? You think I'm vulnerable? That I can't defend myself anymore? I recognize that I'm not in the best of shape right now, but the doctors have told me that I'll make a full recovery. In fact, they say I'll be 100%. 100% by, say, uh, SummerSlam. SummerSlam, Sean? What? Was that some kind of a challenge? You're damn right. Sean, come on. What, what are you going to do? What, are you going to talk me to death? Huh? Sean, face facts. You can't wrestle anymore. You're done. It's over. Your career in this ring, Sean, it's finished. HBK is dead. And whether you like it or anybody else likes it, there's a new game in town. And Sean, this time, I won't stop. You go through with this, I won't stop. I'll finish the job, Sean. I will cripple your ass. And what then? Huh? What then? What if, Sean, what if, when it's all over, you can't walk anymore? What if, when it's over, Sean, you can't pick up your two-year-old son anymore? What if, Sean, when this is over, you can't hold your wife anymore? Or even worse, Sean, what if you can't satisfy your wife anymore as a man? Don't you even think about my wife and my son. I know I can't wrestle anymore. I felt like displaying my ability, I'd have done it four years ago. I know that I'm no longer the showstopper. But I can still fight. And as a man, sometimes you gotta know when to talk. Sometimes you gotta know when to walk away. Sometimes you gotta know when to fight. And the time to fight is now. In a couple weeks, I'm gonna walk down to that ring for the last time. Not to wrestle, but to fight. And fight you, Hunter. And in front of the entire world, I'm gonna show my little boy, sometimes, just sometimes, you gotta fight to be a man. As we pass the halfway point of the dream card, let's go to our second ladder match of the evening. From 2005, Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero in a ladder match. This was the culmination of a four-month storyline that saw Guerrero turn heel while claiming that Mysterio's son, Dominic, was actually his. I'm your poppy. We talked about this rivalry 
in the Epic Encounter series of Beyond the Bell, go to the archives, fans. Great show. It all led to this ladder match that had everyone excited considering the talents of these two men involved. They did some great spots early on. There was Ray drop kicking the ladder to knock Eddie down. The springboard, the springboard senton on the floor while Eddie was holding the ladder. And the backdrop off the ladder onto the other ladder was absolutely sick. Guerrero did botch a flip powerbomb spot when his hand slipped on Ray's leather pants, but you could think you could forgive him considering how high he was up there while doing that. That alone shows the the technical the uh, the ability that both men had from great heights to technical wrestling. These two had it all, and they gelled so well inside the squared circle. The athleticism, the hard bumps, and the chemistry was all there between the two. There was interference, though. Dominic trying to knock Eddie off was different, interesting. The visual of the Ray's little son trying to stop the crazy heel was perfect for the storyline. Eddie could have won, but didn't because he was occupied by the little boy. The end with Vicky Guerrero, who we didn't know much about at this point, stopping Eddie was logical. You could say the finish could have been something better than her holding Eddie down because if they at least ended it on a spot where Ray put him down, it would would have been cleaner. Instead, Ray basically won because Vicky held Eddie down. What's interesting is that Vicky, like we said, missed her spot and Eddie was furious about it, cursing very loudly in the end of it. But at the end, it was satisfying for the babyface, which wrapped up the storyline. Great match between the two, had the storyline, had the chemistry there, fit. Fitting spot for these two superstars, one future Hall of Famer, one current Hall of Famer, on the SummerSlam Dream card. If Ray beats me at the Great American Bash, I will keep that secret inside. That way no one gets hurt. But if I win, then I get to finish my little bedtime story to dominate. Eddie Guerrero, a couple of seconds away from spilling his secret to the world. Now look at Mysterio! What the hell is this? Oh Ray Mysterio did it for his son! The nightmare is over for Ray Mysterio and his son. The secret will remain a secret. No one beats me at the end, Ray. And I may have promised to keep my mouth shut, but guess what, Ray? I lied! Dominic! Ray is not your father! I'm your father, Dominic! Is it true, Dad? Is it really true? Begging you, Eddie. 
Please don't hurt my son anymore. Dad, I'm scared. No more words. No more talk. Just give me my son. You've beaten addiction, Eddie. You've beaten the streets. And you've beaten your past. And became WWE champion. But you haven't beaten Rey Mysterio. And if you take Dominic away from me, the only thing Dominic is gonna know about Eddie Guerrero is that he is a chicken. If anybody knows I'm not a chicken, it's you. Mysterio in a ladder match for the custody of Dominic. I'm going to climb this ladder for every father that loves his son. You may be his biological father, but after SummerSlam, Dominic, you're going to come home with his real father. With Bucky. And that's me. As if it couldn't get any better, let's now lower that hell in a cell. From 2008, The Undertaker versus the Rated-R Superstar, Edge. There were two feuds that highlighted the 2008 year in the WWE. The Undertaker and Edge had a feud that lasted for much of the year, with Undertaker winning at WrestleMania. Edge getting his win back later in the year, and then this was the finish to the feud after all the stress that Edge had caused The Undertaker. It also came at a time following WWE's change of direction back to a PG product after being TV-14 for about a decade. A lot of people were thinking, or going in to this match, a lot of people thought, how can they pull off a Hell in the Cell match without blood? Which was a common theme for these kinds of matches. We just mentioned the bloody encounter between Foley and Flair. Of course, that was a stupid question because these two were uh, these were two of the best in a hot feud and they did everything right in the matchup. What was cool is that Undertaker gave Edge a lot of offense and treated him as an equal rather than the underdog. That was his show of respect for the Rated R Superstar. They pushed that angle in the weeks building up to it. So when the announcers talked about how nobody could hurt The Undertaker like Edge, you actually believe that this was true. It was happening. The Undertaker was being bested by Edge. That's how you use the story to build up to a match. The big spot in the confrontation was when The Undertaker was leaning by the cage. Edge came charging in at him and speared him through the side of the cage. They obviously must have gimmicked that part of the cage to allow it to get unhinged easier. Edge continued the assault by hitting him with a monitor to the head and then speared Undertaker through one of the announce tables while running across all of them. What a great spot. It was so memorable. The Undertaker managed to get back up, then went into his crazy sequence of near falls that was big move after big move. The big turning point spot 
of the matchup was when Edge went for the old-school clothesline, only for Undertaker to counter it and chokeslam through tables. To wrap it up, Undertaker did all of his payback spots, like the spear to Edge, a camera shot to the head, a concerto, and then he finished it up with a tombstone for the pinfall at the 27-minute mark. After the match, Undertaker chokeslammed Edge straight to hell, quote-unquote, as the ring collapsed and lit on fire. Edge was gone for a few months after this matchup to heal up from various injuries. This match should be remembered as a very physical encounter that was part Hell in a Cell, part TLC. And it was even better, or you can rank it even higher, because of the PG environment. It shows even during the PG era, you could still have entertaining, hardcore, emotional match that fit the storyline. And so fitting for the SummerSlam Dream Card. In just two weeks, I'll be stepping in hell in a cell against The Undertaker. Every time I close my eyes, that's all I see. The Undertaker. I'm finding some of that inner peace because I've surrounded myself with tables, ladders, and chairs. These are the things that helped me banish The Undertaker in the first place. And I've found a person that can help me thrive in Hell in a Cell. That person is my guest tonight on The Cutting Edge. That person is... Nick Foley! felt that match every waking second. I saw you walk the day before that match, and I've watched you try and walk properly every day since that match, and you can't do it. I know it eats away at your heart. Look, if you help me, maybe it'll all just wash away. Not only will I not help you, I can't help you. But I know the one person who can. Edge. You need to look inside your heart, your soul, and inside your mind and find the Edge who made me say you were the greatest superstar in WWE. Because if that cell door slams shut and The Undertaker stares face to face at this Edge, down on his knees saying forgive me baby I can't live I won't live without your love edge you bring this edge to SummerSlam and the Undertaker will tear you apart am I understood I understand
And now we go back to 1988, a tag team confrontation between Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage. The Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks, Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant. Not just because I was there to see this match in person, this match is the definition of a big-time main event in professional wrestling. This was what we were to expect from SummerSlams going forward. The Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man. Thought of a great name to counter the Mega Powers. Mega Bucks, of course. He has Bucks. He's the Million Dollar Man. The Macho Man Randy Savage won the championship that year. And of course, what did they do with any world champion? Pair him with the ex-champion, who was still more popular at the time. They were trying to elevate the Macho Man as the backup, the number two, to Hulk Hogan. You can kind of compare it now to John Cena and CM Punk. Punk, popular, maybe more popular with the wrestling purist, the, the IWC, but John Cena still way more over to the general audience. And this fit between these two superstars, the Macho Man and Hulk Hogan. But when they they combine their powers, they combine their abilities, they combine their superstardom, Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man Randy Savage developed the Mega Powers. Who would defeat this powerful group, these Mega Powers? Who could defeat them? Well, there enters the Mega Bucks, DiBiase, buying basically Andre the Giant as his tag team partner. Now, not only that happened, but DiBiase brought in crooked referee Jesse the Body Ventura. Now, what could the Mega Powers do to thwart them? How can they get around this crooked referee buying Andre the Giant as his partner, who Hogan barely beat at WrestleMania 3? What could the Mega Powers do? How would they be able to overcome such a combination of greed, power, strength, deviousness? Well, for them it was easy. They had the oh-so-elegant Miss Elizabeth hop onto the apron and rip off her short yellow skirt, paralyzing the forces of evil with the mere sight of extra girl skin. That was the secret weapon for the Mega Powers, brother which led to a victory for Hogan and Savage. But at the time, this was such an important matchup in the history of the World Wrestling Federation, all joking aside, because this was the parallel to WrestleMania. WrestleMania, the biggest event of the year. So what would you do on quite possibly the second biggest event of the year? An all-star tag team matchup. You give the rub to the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, by being in the matchup with Andre the Giant the eighth wonder of the world, against the champion and the former champion. The Hulkster and Macho Madness reigned supreme that evening, and how loud the crowd went for the simple storyline, and with the ending with the Mega Powers victorious, showed the impact that the World Wrestling Federation had on mainstream media and the mainstream audiences nationwide. And this match definitely deserves being on the dream card, wasn't the most technical, it certainly wasn't the prettiest, but for the sheer fact that this match 
set the tone for SummerSlam being an important player in professional wrestling to this very day. Look, 25 years later, SummerSlam is arguably now the second or third biggest event of the year. But this main event set the tone going forward of what SummerSlam main events should be. And in the main event for the World Wrestling Federation Championship from 2001, Kurt Angle versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. This was purely a fun match from a fan perspective. The work in this match was off the charts. Austin was in the middle of his run as the top heel after he had turned on the WWF during the Invasion storyline against WCW and ECW. Angle ended up being the top babyface 
that was defending the WWF, even though he had been a heel for the year and a half prior to this match. In terms of their work, Austin might have had his best year ever in 2001. While Angle was as good as anybody in the business, despite being in the WWE for under two years. The match was fresh and action-packed. Early on, Austin hit the stunner and Angle kicked out. What does an angry Austin do? He repeatedly rams Angle's head into the ring post, which drew blood and it added to the story of the match because Kurt looked physically out of it, yet he kept fighting back. There were also memorable moments like the Angle's ankle lock on the floor and a belly-to-belly on the floor that couldn't have been good for Austin's neck. The last five minutes of the match were heart-wrenching as Angle kicked out of the stunner again, Austin kicked out of the Olympic Slam, and Angle snapped on the ankle lock. Everybody wanted Austin to tap. Everybody, but he kept fighting. Then Austin attacked the referees. He punched punched to Hebner, stunner to Kyoto, belt shot to White, and finally the fourth referee, Nick Patrick, rang the bell, disqualifying Austin at the 21-minute mark. This match worked on so many levels because both guys won their games as well as anyone could ever remember. You can't think of a match where Angle wrestled better as a babyface. Go back and look, I'm telling you. Austin was at his heel best here. People who think his heel run didn't work because of the crowd being reluctant to boo him need to watch this match. Look back. He got massive heat, and Angle had them jumping for everything he did too. A month later, Angle won the title clean and unforgiven in his hometown of Pittsburgh before dropping it back to Austin a few weeks later after that. You can see in this matchup why Kurt Angle and Steve Austin are, are, for many people, many fans of the business, their two favorite wrestlers of all time. Sure, you don't like a match ending in a disqualification, but looking from a sheer technical standpoint, from a storyline perspective, this match had it all. I was debating between the Kurt Angle-Brock Lesnar confrontation or the Austin-Angle matchup. Of course, I chose the latter because you have to have Stone Cold Steve Austin on the SummerSlam Dream card, right? Wait, fans, a swerve at the end of the SummerSlam Dream card. You think we're finished? Oh, no. Not at all. You're saying ending the dream card on a disqualification? We're throwing you a curveball, fans. No, the pay-per-view's not over. This is not the dark match. This is now the true main event of the SummerSlam dream card. We won't let this show end on a disqualification. So in the main event from 2002, for the undisputed WWF title, The Rock, the champion... Versus the next big thing, Brock Lesnar. Going into this year's SummerSlam with Brock taking on Triple H, how could you not include Brock Lesnar on the SummerSlam dream card? We almost did between him and Angle. But we threw you for a loop, fans. Brock Lesnar versus The Rock. I was there, of course, that year. That's when I mentioned the match between Ray and Kurt Angle was great. That was another potential opening match. Uh, for the dream card, because it was a great opening match at SummerSlam. We talked about the, the street fight, Triple H and Shawn Michaels, but the main event, it had so much buzz. Was The Rock going to go down to the next big thing? What made this match so special was not in particularly the exact flow of the match and the the storyline inside the championship matchup in the building, but more so outside the building, outside of the match, the training for the match. 
go back, look at the training segments between The Rock and Lesnar. I will can contest to this very day, if you book matches just like this with those training segments, you will get more buy rates. You will get more of the more attention from the casual fan. I'm telling you, that's what makes UFC so popular. You have the storylines surrounding the training, the training aspect, the the story behind your techniques of your training regimes, who's training you. What happens? The emotion that comes into training, the desire, you get that from these two vignettes looking back at Brock training and The Rock. So you want to be a legend? You have no idea. Countdown is on. You saw how important it made the undisputed title the most coveted championship in the history of this business and made it have a purpose. There was emotion going into this match, especially when it came down to it. The Rock laying the championship across the front entrance and then running down to the ring to take on Lesnar. You felt the emotion. You felt the desire between the two. And then, of course, leading to the end, the F5, Brock Lesnar becoming the undisputed world champion. You knew the next big thing had arrived. But it won't be necessarily for the in-ring action of what made this match so special and to main event our dream card. But the pre-match vignettes, the pre-match preparation between both stars is what made this match so special and fitting for our ultimate main event of our SummerSlam dream card. Brock Lesnar, you are real because you are the next big thing. And tonight, tonight, Brock, you become the next of the ring. The winner of this match, not only the prestigious king of the ring, but he also earns the right to fight in the main event at SummerSlam against the undisputed champion. Oh my God. Lesnar caught Van Damme in midair, and it's over. Lesnar's the king of the ring, and this rookie now has earned a main event shot at the undisputed title at SummerSlam. Undisputed title on the line. Who will go to SummerSlam to meet Brock Lesnar for the undisputed title? The first man to score pinfall or submission wins the match and therefore becomes the undisputed champion. No way, no. Slam. No Brock Lesnar 
You want to play games with The Rock? You think you want to play mind games? Is that what you want to do? You want to send a message to The Rock? Well, The Rock's got a message for you. Just bring it! All I care about is being the absolute best. In my mind, I'm number one, always. I wouldn't be here if I didn't feel like I was number one. I don't care about being the biggest guy in the industry. I don't care about being the strongest. Outdo my opponent always. In my mind, I'm number one. All I care about is being the absolute best. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Wrestling fans, it's time to thank our sponsors of the Beyond the Bell podcast. Barbershop Window, the brand new official sponsor of Beyond the Bell. They love wrestling and they love t-shirts, so they combine the two in order to fulfill their goal to create shirts that wrestling fans enjoy and will want to own and wouldn't be embarrassed to wear to a bar. New shirts are released every week and all past shirts can be found in the overstock bin. So go to barbershopwindow.com where they make wearing wrestling shirts cool again. Squared Circle Media. Jerome Willen provides audio and written content based on the latest in professional wrestling. Associated with wrestling.com, Ringside Digest, and the Camel Clutch blog, Squared Circle Media is for the true wrestling fan. You can reach them at squaredcirclemedia.net. Ringannouncing.com the official website for the future of ring announcing and beyond the bell host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. This is the place where you'll find all the latest news and multimedia related to host, broadcaster, and podcaster, Sean Beckerman. So go to ringannouncing.com now and follow the future of ring announcing. Stitcher Radio is an on-demand internet radio service that focuses on news and information radio and podcasts. It's available on all smartphones via the iTunes App Store and the Android Market. Stitcher, now streaming innovative audio. GoDaddy.com. GoDaddy offers everything you need to make a name for yourself on the web. From domain names and website builders to complete e-commerce solutions. With more than 10.4 million customers and over 53 million domain names, GoDaddy is the leader in web development. SNSRadioNetwork.com is the home for all things related to professional wrestling, mixed martial arts, and video gaming. Catch the latest news on all three topics, as well as the trademark shows, including the benchmark show, Wrestling News Live, Sunday Night Showdown, Unplugged with J.J. Sexay and Charles Shane, The Pro Wrestling Rewind, The Elite Force Podcast, Why, and of course, Beyond the Bell with host Sean Beckerman. SNSRadioNetwork.com is the place to go for all things related to wrestling, video gaming, and mixed martial arts. If you're not listening, you're not trying. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Beyond the Bell, Email us at btbwrestling at gmail.com with the header, Advertising. Join the Beyond the Bell revolution. It's go time! Wrap it up, old school wrestling fans. Another edition of Beyond the Bell is in the books. SummerSlam once again is coming our way. 25 years of SummerSlam history. And I am sure there's plenty more SummerSlam moments to come 
and we will share them with you here at Beyond the Bell. Remember to rewind relive the past two episodes regarding the best of SummerSlam episodes 14 and 15 in our archive. We'll have a special post dedicated to those two SummerSlam events where you can relive the best of SummerSlam throughout its years in history. And I'm sure with that, we'll see, quite possibly, the SummerSlam Dream Card Volume 2 make its way to a future edition of Beyond the Bell. Why don't you connect socially to Beyond the Bell? Like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, at Sean Beckerman. Yes, I officially have a tout account, touted out, and hopefully soon I'll be actually putting some touts out. So stay tuned for that, fans. Also, stream us live via the Stitcher app for all smartphones, iTunes App Store, and Google Play for all Android devices. And download all archive shows at snsradionetwork.com, as well as the home of ring announcer Sean Beckerman, ringannouncing.com. Make sure you download the latest version of iTunes and download Beyond the Bell each and every week automatically on your iTunes device, either iPod, iPad, iPhone, you name it. Eye it up at Beyond the Bell. It's IBTB. We will close out the show with some old school music. Old school tunes here at Beyond the Bell. So in the spirit of one of our SummerSlam Dream Cart matches, let's rewind and relive the theme for the million dollar man Ted DiBiase as we saw the Mega Bucks take on the Mega Powers. The million dollar man theme will wrap things up here at Beyond the Bell and I'll see you next week fans as we remember all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. In the meantime, fans, I'm Sean Beckerman signing off, and I'll see you at the matches. (laughs) Everybody's got a price. Everybody's gonna pay. Cause the million dollar man Wrestling fans, your ring announcer here, Sean Beckerman, 
and I'm proud to present to you the Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Podcast that's taking the IWC by storm beyond the bell. On each edition, we cover a different theme, taking you back in time to relive the greatest and worst in professional wrestling. We go behind the mic, where you will get backstage stories from the perspective of a pro wrestling ring announcer on the independent circuit. Find out what it was like to announce some of the greatest stars in pro wrestling history and the funny stories behind the scenes. And we wrap it all up with old school wrestling music. So tune in to Beyond the Bell each and every week on the SNS Radio Network. And I'll see you at the matches. It's go time!